Good morning. Um, as Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Excited to be with you this morning. Uh, glad you're here. If you are here for the first time, as, as was already said, uh, really glad that you decided to join us. I hope you feel welcome uh, today. As Daniel mentioned a few minutes ago, we are in week four of our Become series, a series that is uh, tied to the vision of our church. Uh, it's a series that at its heart is about taking steps of faith uh, to become the church that God is calling us to be for his glory and for the good of this city. And I hope that those of you who have been with us for the past few weeks are, are continuing to pray about what God is calling your investment to be in Become. Uh, if you just got here, if you, you're new to our church, you may not be aware of this, but uh, there are four different components to the Become initiative. I'd love for you, if you haven't already, pick this up on your way out. It kind of walks through all four of them. But this morning, I'm just going to briefly touch on the third of those uh, foci, the, the, the handle, if you will, of mercy and justice. And so... Our vision here at Christ Central uh, since day one has been about the glory of God and the good of Durham. Uh, and there's no way, obviously, that we can be about the good of Durham without proactively fighting for the marginalized amongst us, fighting against the broken systems and structures that lead to the continued and further marginalization of people. And here at Christ Central, we seek to engage in that battle in two primary ways. First, we partner. We partner with numerous nonprofits throughout the city, uh, and we seek to support the work they're doing, profits like Step Up that we just heard about. And the other way that we do this is through our own institutional outreaches that focus on housing, education, foster care and adoption, and Durham's Hispanic community that we just prayed for. We do this because we're passionate about mercy and justice, and we believe that it's a necessary part of seeking God's glory and the good of this city. And because of that, we've decided to invest 10% of the money that's invested in Become uh, in mercy and justice. So what will that 10% uh, be allocated for? It's a, it's a great question, right? We will primarily be using this money to bolster our existing outreach initiatives, to, to increase our uh, investment in the four areas that we are already working in. But this money will also be used to strengthen our pre-existing partnerships with these nonprofits that we have partnered with and continue to partner with. And then lastly, Lord willing, this money will be seed money for the next in-house outreach that one of you is going to come up with. So we're excited about being able to do that, to maybe inspire you to, to think about ways that we can further invest uh, and fight uh, for mercy and justice in our city. We believe that, that Durham will never become that city that God wants it to be apart from us joining in that battle for mercy and justice in this place. So as we transition now into our sermon text this morning, I want to remind you that as a part of this Become series, we are preaching through our five core values here at Christ Central. The five things that we believe God has called us to be and that we are Lord willing becoming more and more each day. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on our third core value, embracing one another. Uh, we decided, the leadership of this church, back at the beginning, that to be a part of this church was to agree to move toward, to reach out to, to grab hold of, and embrace one another. So 
I'd like to spend the rest of our morning unpacking what we believe that that embracing should look like at Christ Central Church. So I'm going to invite you now, if you're able, would you stand, as is our custom, for the reading of God's Word. This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 through 22. This is God's Word. Apostle Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and preached Peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers, but the flowers fade, and the the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, and we believe that your word is true. uh, That when we come to your word, we actually come into your presence. We encounter you, the living God through this book. And God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would give me the courage to get out of your way so that we might encounter you and be transformed. God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. As a pastor, I've been surprised over the years by all the things that I've been asked to do that I was not trained for in seminary. And certainly one of the most glaring of those is to visit people who have been incarcerated. It doesn't matter how many times you've seen it on TV or in a movie, nothing can compare to that moment when you first arrive. And and, and the whole experience is, is jarring But the thing that has to be the most disturbing of all is the wall. This thick concrete and glass barrier between you and the person that you are trying to connect with. The first time I went, I was was shocked by how this barrier hindered me from truly connecting with this person. I, I mean, for one, you can barely hear through it. They've got a little grate there that is supposed to let sound through, but it doesn't work very well. And... You can't really see each other very well because the glass is far from transparent. But the worst part of all is the fact that that you can't touch the person that you're interacting with. It makes me think about a time when I went with two children to visit their mother 
at the women's penitentiary in, in Raleigh, and I was so excited when we arrived because I looked around and there was no wall present in the visitation room. But that excitement was, was soon replaced by horror when I realized that the wall was in fact there. It was just very hard to see. Because you see, at the beginning of the visit, these two kids were invited to give their mom a hug, a quick hug, and then they were asked to sit in these chairs that were three feet away from their mom. And for the rest of the visit, they were forbidden to touch their mother. And I, I know that the kids wanted to be there, but I often question whether the inability to touch made it more painful than it was worth. As, as Daniel pointed out, couple weeks ago, each and every one of us was created with a longing to be touched. Studies have shown how invaluable it is for kids to connect with a parent through touch at a young age. And although there's not as much clinical data here, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we as adults are in the same boat. We fundamentally need to be touched by another. And yet although we were created to touch and be touched to embrace one another, I believe that, like the inmates, we all live with these thick walls between us, walls that hinder us from truly embracing one another, walls that I might add are often just like that one in the Raleigh Penitentiary, walls that are often very hard to see. Our text this morning comes out of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and in this letter, Paul goes after these walls that are so often present in our lives and present in the church. And so as we unpack this text, I want to examine with you three things. First, why are walls created? Secondly, what are the walls in this place, in Christ Central Church? And then thirdly, how do we tear them down? So let's begin. It's easy to see from our text that Paul has some serious concerns about the health of this church. There appears to be major division amongst the people. Verse 14, Paul talks about the root of this division. He says, there is a dividing wall of hostility, of hatred. There's a wall that has been created that's separating one group of the church from another. And so I want to begin by looking at why this wall was created in this 2,000-year-old church and then Hopefully, we will begin to see, recognize how and why we create walls in our church today. So what exactly is the nature of this wall that, that Paul is referring to? Certainly, a little bit of context is needed in order to answer that question. The church in Ephesus was majority Gentile, almost entirely Gentile. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, the word Gentile simply refers to someone who is not Jewish. These were people who were not blood relatives of Abraham. So this is an ethnic distinction. And Paul is highlighting here the nature of the relationship between these two ethnic groups, particularly from the perspective of his primarily Gentile audience. And he says, verse 11, Therefore remember that you at one time, that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. And what we see here, although we probably may not recognize this at first glance, is, is not far from a racial slur. The Jews had actually come up with a derogatory name for everyone that was not a part of their exclusive ethnic club, the uncircumcision. But why was this wall created? Why did they create this division? 
Well, the reason is because the Jews believed that they were better than the Gentiles, more righteous, more holy, cleaner, and ultimately more deserving of God's love and favor, of God's embrace. And therefore, they built a wall. They separated themselves from these lesser individuals, and they refused to move toward them, to embrace these insignificant people. But I don't think that's the only wall that Paul's talking about here. I think that Paul has more in mind when he talks about the dividing wall of hostility. Though it's maybe harder to see, I think the Gentiles probably built a wall too that Paul is addressing. Because we all know that when someone mistreats you over and over again, it's, it's human nature to stop trusting that person. If you keep getting hurt, you're going to come up with, with some sort of way to minimize that hurt, right? So the best way to do that is to build a wall between you and that person. A wall that says, if, if I don't get too close to you, you can't hurt me. Now let's take a step back even more. I believe at the root of both of these walls is fear. We're afraid of what might happen if we get too close to someone. So we all build walls. A wall that we hope will keep us safe, but a wall that nonetheless hinders us from living out this core value of embracing one another, of doing what God has created us to do. And therefore, step one for us in embracing one another is to acknowledge this very thing, that we all build walls. We all use certain filters to determine who to embrace and who not to embrace. And to acknowledge this reality is a huge step forward in making the invisible walls more visible. Brings us to our second point this morning. What are the walls in this place? What are the filters that we are using when it comes to embracing or not embracing others? And in what ways is my pride or my fear motivating me to withhold touch from others? And there are certainly many walls that we could discuss this morning, but I want to focus our time on three, three big ones. The walls of racism, classism, and tribalism. Let's look first at racism. Now certainly I, I doubt anyone would deny that our country has been very much divided around this issue of race for quite some time now. And yet I worry that we, Christ Central Church, might fall into the trap of believing that we are somehow immune to that divide. I mean, you might say, wait a minute, Pastor Timothy, don't you see? We're a multi-ethnic church. We meet in a historical African-American space. I mean, our summer reading book was about racism in the church, for goodness sakes. There's no racial wall here. And to that I would say, I do honestly believe that, that most of the people at Christ Central genuinely long to be part of a cross-cultural community. But I would add, to have a desire to be a part of this type of community is a far cry from actually embracing one another. So how do we know the difference? How do we know the difference between just desiring to be a part of a cross-cultural community and actually embracing one another? I want to give you a couple of diagnostic questions for you to ask yourself. First, I want you to think about the top five people that you would call if something terrible happened to you? Maybe even top 10. Are any of those people ethnically different from you? 
For those of you who are parents, I want you to think about your, your child's 10 best friends, the ones that they do play dates with often. Are any of those children ethnically different from your child? Or even within this church, do any of the people in this church that are ethnically different from you actually know you? Not like where you live and what, what you do for a living and what you like to eat, but, but what you fear. The, the hurts that you carry with you, the guilt and shame that you struggle with. Does anyone who is ethnically different from you know you? We've got a long way to go here, church, and, and no doubt fear is a big part of this. But I do think there's hope. I do think we are moving in the right direction. I want to give you two practical steps that can help us to continue to move towards tearing down this wall of racism. First, I want you to encourage you, invite you to spend some time learning about cultures other than yours. And just to be clear, just as a side note here, there are more than two ethnicities present at Christ Central Church. I hope you realize that. I know that black and white is often what is most talked about, but I hope that you see that our church is far more diverse than that. We've got a lot to learn. I've talked about how fear is such a huge part of the walls that we build, and we're often afraid of what we don't understand, right? And so in order to embrace people who are not like you, it's up to you to proactively learn about them, to learn where they are coming from, to seek to understand better what life is like from their perspective. See, I'm a hugger. I like to give hugs, even with people that I, that I just met. And when I said this this morning, a bunch of people gave me hugs in the, in the lobby, so I hope I'll get some more hugs today. But, <laughs> but I don't hug someone that I just met the same way that I hug my mom or my wife or my kids. You see, because true embracing requires a deep knowledge of and respect for the other person. If we're going to be a church that tears down the wall of racism and truly embraces one another, we're going to have to spend some time learning about that other person on the other side of the wall. Amen? Secondly, I want to encourage you to cultivate relationships outside the church with people that are not like you. Although it is our goal here at Christ Central, we are far from reflecting the demographics of our city. That's just true. And one of the ways that we are seeking to address this is through Become. We are creating a ministry intern program that exists primarily, primarily to raise up minority leaders in this church and beyond. So that's one of the things that we're doing from the top down, but no doubt you get to play a part in this as well. What might it look like for you, for your family, to proactively pursue relationships with people that are of a different ethnicity than you. See, unless we all make this a priority, we're never going to succeed in tearing down this wall of racism. We will just be a church that, that likes the idea of being cross-cultural but never really embraces one another across cultural divides. Next, I want to talk about classism. We often here at Christ Central talk about the racial divide that exists in this country at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But rarely do we mention the socioeconomic divide that is just as present, if not worse. And the reality is, rarely do we actually see people with significantly different incomes in the same church. And this wall is actually really tricky uh, because it actually has a way of being more invisible, I think, than most. And this is what I mean, because there's invisibility happens, listen closely, when 
when we embrace but under one condition. And that is that the one who has the means is doing the serving and the one who is without means is being served. Did you hear that? Years ago, we ran a course here at Christ Central called Dignity Serves. And, and the main premise is that for a true embrace to happen with people from different socioeconomic statuses, there has to be dignified interdependence. And what, the, what that mouthful means is that for true relationship to happen, both parties have to see their need for the other. Both parties must be willing to serve and be served. Because a true hug requires squeezing from both sides. Amen? If one person is the only one who is ever allowed to do the squeezing, the other person is going to feel used, and the squeezer is ultimately going to get tired. What might it look like for you to pursue dignified interdependence here at Christ Central and in our city? Lastly, I want to look at the wall of tribalism, the wall that might be the most prevalent in our church as well as a great, the greatest deterrent from us embracing one another. And when I say tribalism, I mean the formation of a corporate identity group around an idea, a cause, or a belief. You're probably aware of this, but to quote Paul Zoll from our summer reading book, Seculosity, he talks about how our society is becoming more and more prone to pursuing belonging, righteousness, meaning, and deliverance through ideas, causes, and beliefs. And the problem with this is that the more our identity is wrapped up in a certain idea or cause or belief, the less we will be able to embrace someone who supports the opposite. The evidence of this is the pervasiveness of the number of relationships and even families that have been broken up by the 2016 election. But it's not just politics. Our tribalism shows up around things such as parenting, food, fitness, money, education, and even religion. And in order to tear down these walls of tribalism, we must begin to carefully examine ourselves, our hearts. We must ask the question, are there people in this church that we are refusing to embrace because of the way they vote or the way they parent or the way they eat or how little they exercise or how much they exercise or how much money they spend or how little money they spend or where they live or where they go to school or where their kids go to school or how much they serve or how much they don't serve, you fill in the blank. And sure, you like those people that are different, but if you're honest, when you hug them, it always feels kind of fake. It feels forced because there is an invisible wall between you, a wall that is built around the fact that you are in different tribes and those tribes do not like each other. A few weeks ago, we gathered as a staff team to be together, to pray and think about the upcoming year. And one of the things that came up is this election that's coming and how divisive it's guaranteed to be in this country, but, but especially in our city. And that, that division has the ability to create a lot of fear in us. But, but if I'm honest, and I mean this, I'm actually not afraid. Because I truly believe that we, Christ Central Church, we're uniquely positioned to be an institution, to be a community that truly embraces one another across party lines, who does not allow the wall of tribalism to rule the day and to prevent us from living out this value of embracing one another. Church, what are the walls of tribalism that you need to first identify in your own heart 
and then begin to tear down so that we can embrace one another. Which brings me to my third and final point. How does this wall dismantling happen? How do we destroy these walls that are hindering us from truly embracing one another? The wall of racism, classism, tribalism, and so many others. As I've mentioned before, the presence of the wall is normally a result of one of three things. A feeling of superiority, a feeling of inferiority, or fear, or some combination of all three. Someone feels superior, and so they decide the person on the other side of the wall is, is not worthy of their embrace, and so the wall comes up. Someone feels inferior, and they feel like they're not worthy of an embrace from the other person, so the wall comes up. Or someone is afraid, afraid of what might happen if they get close to that other person, and so the wall comes up. But what's amazing is that Paul addresses all three of these motives for building walls in our text. Listen again to verse 17. It says, And he, Jesus, preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. What's this discussion around nearness and and farness? We often talk about the vertical implications of what Christ has done, how what Christ has done has affected our relationship with God, but Right here, Paul is really hammering in many ways the horizontal. How the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus impacts our relationships with one another. And let me, sh- let me show you what I mean. Paul is talking about our varied perceptions of feeling worthy and unworthy of God's embrace. And, and his point is that in Christ, we're all near. We're all worthy. And so he's saying to the one who feels superior, you're near, but not because you earned it. Not because you're that great or you've performed so well, but because of what Christ has done for you. And so some of us need to hear that this morning. We need to hear that that we're near to God not because we deserve it and not because we've earned it. And we're not nearer to God than anyone else. And then to the one who feels inferior, he is saying, although you were far off, And although you may still feel far off, you have been brought near. Jesus has done it. He's done enough for you. And therefore, you are welcome here, welcome at the table. In spite of how unworthy you might feel, God has made you worthy. Some of us need to hear that this morning, that you're welcome here. And all of us who are afraid, God is saying, you don't have to build that wall. You don't have to protect yourself in this way because I haven't built a wall between you and me. Jesus has torn down the wall that was built by our sin. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 13, that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that the work of Christ has allowed us to approach boldly the throne of God, that we can have intimate relationship with God And so we realize that now we are free to embrace and be embraced by our Heavenly Father. And the more that we get this, the more that we understand that Christ's work has provided for us this beautiful embrace by our Heavenly Father, the more we will be empowered and encouraged to take the risk. And it is risky to move towards one another and seek to embrace people that may not be just like us. It's his embrace that fuels us to love and embrace others. See, at the cross, our superiority, our inferiority, and all our fears are dealt with. It's where we are truly empowered to live out this value. 
Paul ends with a beautiful picture of what it looks like when we live this out. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul's picture here is of a building. And his main point is here is that we are now part of one building, not a city that is vaguely connected, not even a campus that is closely interconnected. No, one building, verse 20, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets as the foundation. And we, God's people, were the bricks. And we're cemented together, interwoven and interlocked to form this magnificent holy temple. That's what the church is. And the beauty of this building is that when it's built properly, it becomes a building fit for a king. Listen to verse 22. It says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Church, when we begin to identify and tear down these dividing walls and, and live out our new identity, we become a dwelling fit for a king, fit for God himself. Verse 22 may explain that when we live this way, God delights to dwell amongst us. Church, let us not be like those in prisons relating to each other through a wall, but may we live out this new identity, truly embrace, embrace one another. And the result will be that God will, to dwight, he will delight to dwell in our midst. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we are people that build walls. We are wall builders. You know, there's a whole host of reasons why we do it. But it's, it's just a part of, it's true, it's reality. There are walls between us that are hindering us from doing what you've called us to, hindering us from embracing one another. Father, we need your help to identify these walls, to see them so that we can begin to dismantle them, so that we can truly embrace one another. And God, we know that you delight to dwell in a community such as that. May it be so, God, would you make us into a community that embraces each other well. In Jesus' name.